You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer and I'm here with Matt Hartwell. And we are recording this episode on the heels of another exciting Michigan basketball win. We've got momentum. We've got three wins in a row. The game literally just uh, finished five minutes ago. Matt, how you feeling, man? I mean, I'm feeling great. Obviously, you and I are both about 40 minutes late for this podcast just because we were texting during the end of the game. And uh, I mean, I think that all Michigan fans might have felt like just a little bit of the deja vu, same old story creeping in in the last few seconds there. I mean, no one was expecting Hunter Dickinson to hit such a massive shot to force overtime, I think. And uh, I mean, I certainly wasn't. I was getting ready to jump on the pod and talk about a disappointing Michigan loss, if I'm being completely honest, After, uh, especially after we uh, missed what I assumed would probably uh, be our best chance at a last shot when Kobe Bufkin drove in. But Hunter Dickinson hits the massive shot. Wolverine fans are uh, over the moon about it. I mean, I'm ecstatic. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. So I I decided something today, and and I think many many Michigan basketball fans have already decided this in the past, but I, I for some reason this just caught up to me today. Wisconsin is my least favorite opponent in basketball. Like I know we got Michigan State and Ohio State who are rivals in all sports. Um and Illinois, I mean Illinois in basketball has given us some reason to be irritated in the past. But when that bank shot went in, that three-pointer uh near the end of regulation, it sunk in and I realized I fucking hate Wisconsin basketball. And my, my, my dad actually went to Wisconsin too. So in, in the back of my head, I've always been like a diehard Michigan fan. And then like, I respect Wisconsin. I actually, I respect Wisconsin football. I like jump around, you know, it's it like, I, it was really cool when the Michigan football team like stole the jump around from them. And I, you know, I've never really hated Wisconsin football, but man, after the, the Jawan Greg guard incident last year, and then, uh, playing them and and losing late uh, a couple weeks ago, and and then I thought we were going to lose late again. Um, I didn't even want to record the pod, man. When it started to sink in, I was like, I was like, I'm gonna have to call Matt, like tell him we got to push this thing back because I like I can't even like lift my head up. Um, thank God for Hunter Dickinson. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean. Uh... It's it was just an incredible basketball game, as have been the last few Michigan basketball games that that we watched. And I actually uh, tweeted it out from the Mason Brew account towards the end of the game. But Michigan basketball is back, baby. And uh, it's just been incredible to watch. You know, I really whether they make the tournament or not, I'm just over the moon impressed with Kobe Bufkin's effort uh, just as a go to scorer. You know, and I, I'm not hating on Jet Howard by any means, I uh, or anything like that. But it just seems like this team has a more focused objective when um, the the lineup that we've seen over the last few weeks, or the combination of players, and really the starting and bench lineups that we've seen over the last couple weeks, just gel a whole lot better without uh, the pressure, I think, to center around the offense only Jet and Kobe or Jet and Hunter. You know what I mean? Because that's the way it always seems as though they operate whenever Jet's in the game. It's like it's got to be Jet or it's got to be Jet and like one other guy, you know? And uh, that's kind of the vibe that I had got. And over these last few weeks, with Jet having a more limited, uh, li- more limited appearances and a role that uh, they've really at least started to find themselves outside of Jet Howard a little bit um, in terms of like Doug McDaniel, uh, Terrace Reed Jr. Hunter Dickinson has come into his own towards the end of the season. He was hitting a little bit of a slump for a little while. 
And uh, they've just been flowing on all cylinders. And Kobe Bufkin is in no way looked at like as a, a like a necessity. Like you have to get the ball to him. He more just complements the way that they run while still producing a lot of points. If that makes sense, like he still allows all of them to do their thing while he also goes off. Yeah, there's a whole lot to unpack there, man. I, I agree with basically everything that you said. So. The Jet Howard injury reminds me a little bit of the Blake Corum injury in football. And and uh, let me explain. So do you remember when, uh, of course you remember, Blake Corum got hurt. He went down. We were all a little bit like, oh my God, like that's our guy. Like, what are we going to do? And the strangest thing started to unfold, especially in that Ohio State game, which of course is late in the year. Um, we were able to attack... Ohio State with things that they had never seen before. JJ started to get comfortable. Cornelius Johnson started to get comfortable. Donovan Edwards stepped in and, and started to blossom. And and uh, in basketball, we're seeing something similar to that with the Jet Howard injury, right? Got guys like uh, Terrace Reed and Doug McDaniel are just hitting their stride. I think the guy that maybe is benefiting the most, um, and it makes sense positionally, is Joey Baker. Right. Joey Baker's getting getting some extended minutes. He's moving around. He's getting in. Uh, The rotation is more fluid right now. Uh, You know, and actually it's kind of a one A one B situation because the Terrence Williams injury, it, it sort of gave Jawan an opportunity to do what we all wanted him to do, which was play T will off the bench uh, and get Cheddar in the game. Now, I don't think that Will Cheddar is necessarily better than T-Will. As a matter of fact, he's been a little bit of a liability on the floor. He's been kind of wild. But I wouldn't even bench him because like Terrence Williams coming off of the bench has been incredible. And, and you know, what I noticed right before we got on was, so in the Rutgers game, uh, Terrence Williams, his plus minus was 18, plus 18. So in other words, uh, Michigan was plus 18 with T-Will on the floor. And that was with him coming off the bench. Well, in this game, the one that we just wrapped up, I pulled it up. Who, who's got the highest plus minus of any player on Michigan in this game? Terrence Williams. Again, his plus minus is plus 20 in this game. Like what in the world? So he, and, and it's interesting because he scored two points. He literally scored two points, but having him come off of the bench and be a glue guy with that second unit and fill in the gaps. I mean, let's face it. Terrence Williams is like an eh starter, but he's he's like the perfect sixth or seventh man. He's like he I mean, coming off of the bench, he I mean, he's an elite bench player because of the way that he rebounds, the way that he uh, is like he can he can settle into the game even without scoring points. He He's, he's solid on defense. He doesn't miss assignments. And so Cheddar gives you that energy and scrappiness that you need with all the other guys that are looking to score points. And then T-Will can come in and be another competent basketball player uh, with that second unit. Yeah, absolutely. And really, like, I hate, I would hate to, like, um, speculate that, like, Jet Howard should ever, like, come off of the bench. You know, he's way too talented for that. But you see the way that that uh, this team is able to gel with players like T-Will, like you mentioned, on the bench. And, you know, Will Cheddar, like, he hasn't been the best player in the starting lineup, but it's just worked. You know what I mean? It, uh, it's put a lot less pressure on on certain guys to do their respective jobs. And they've just kind of flourished under this system. You know, Doug McDaniel, he's making a a lot better of decisions. I commented on it in the Rutgers game, but um, he's just been very smart with the basketball, not taking stupid shots, being very selective with his passes uh, and has even stepped up a little bit defensively. So, you know, I am a big fan of what Michigan's been doing. I hope that uh, no matter what happens going forward in the next uh, couple weeks that they can find a way to not step on any of the mojo that's been working for them. You know what I mean? And like I said, I'd hate to to say that Jet Howard should come off the bench or anything 
anything to that effect, but like you've got a system that's worked very well over the last last few weeks and uh you don't want to you certainly don't want to mess with that this close to knocking on the door of maybe getting into the NCAA tournament. It, it's interesting when you start to play with the lineup in your head, size becomes an issue because you almost you almost want to be able to plug Jet Howard back into the starting lineup and pull Cheddar out. But positionally, you really couldn't do that, right? Because then you, you'd be left with four guards and Hunter Dickinson. And uh, I mean, you could. I, I mean, you could go small ball with, with Hunter uh, because it's nice having Joey Baker on the floor. Um, getting, you're, you're right. There's no way we're going to bench Jet, right? Like, and and nor, nor do I think we should. Um, I, my hope would be that we plug Jet back in and these other guys that have gotten some work uh, continue to build on their success. Uh, man, Doug McDaniel. I think we found our four-year starter, right? And I was talking about this with Jared a little last week. I, like, I'm pretty sure that Dougie is destined to be a, a four-year starting point guard because he's not big enough to where he's going to go pro early. And, um, man, he is good. I mean, he's sneaky good. And Jalen Llewellyn's got some eligibility, but uh, you can't start Jalen Llewellyn next year. Like, you got to tell Doug McDaniel, like, this is your team, right? I, I mean, what's your what's your take on that, Matt? Like, do you do you think that if Jalen Llewellyn comes back to Michigan next year, that like, would you start him? I'm a little bit torn on it, man, you know, because uh, you have Jalen Llewellyn, who really wasn't like, uh, didn't jump off the screen at you in uh, his limited action before his injury earlier this year. And also like Doug McDaniel, who's been uh, inconsistent at times, but as of more recently, he's been a stud. You know what I mean? Like he has been great for this team. If he can continue this type of play that he's been uh, playing with over the last few games, I would put him in the starting lineup uh, for the next however long he wants to be here. You know, he's he's very quick. He, uh, he, he's been making a lot of really good decisions. You know, I can't say enough about it because that was initially one of my hangups about him is uh, he'd make a bad pass, you know, or uh, generate a, or a, a turnover and go in the opposite way, make a stupid shot, you know, but he hasn't been doing any of that. It's as if a totally different flip switch has been flipped and he's been playing with a different energy. I don't know what they've what they've been teaching him, but uh, he's certainly had a trended, trending in a right direction and I want to see more of it. And uh, I'd like to see him in the starting lineup next year, regard regardless if Llewellyn is uh, is there and eligible or not. Yeah, Doug is he was a freshman, right? Like I, that that I mean, obviously he still is a freshman, but he's not playing like one anymore. Early early in the season, he was playing like a freshman, and that's what you always hope is that when you get these guys some reps, that they stop looking like a freshman, and and that's exactly what we're seeing, and we're actually. I think that that coincides his development and Terrace Reed's development, our ability to play that twin towers lineup with Terrace and Hunter on the floor. Uh, I think that coincides with Michigan's ability to finish games, right? What, what we're seeing is their development has been getting us over the hump. Um, not to mention like Kobe Bufkin's development. I mean, Kobe is, yeah, it's like every time he does what he did today i'm it's like bittersweet because i know a game like today is the nba scouts are going to be all over it i mean he he did some things in this game that scream uh you know pro basketball and but that's maybe that's what Jalen llewellyn becomes for us is perhaps he's uh a little bit of a a handicap for if if kobe does go pro um, which of course I wish Kobe the best and hope he does, but I would love to see another year out of him at Michigan. But if Kobe does go pro, I, I think Llewellyn might be able to slide into that two spot and play alongside Doug McDaniel at times. Um, you know, speaking of of pro basketball and NBA scouts, I, I got a question that I've been pondering, and I'm curious. I'm curious what you think about this. Has Hunter Dickinson 
improved his draft stock at all this year? Like, do you think that do you think that any NBA scouts have have watched him play this year and have moved him up in their on their draft boards? You know, it's a tough uh, it's a tough question for me. I don't. I don't know, man. You know, when I think about Hunter Dickinson, he just seems like he's been this almost the same player to me over the last the last few seasons. And that's not a knock on. You know, he's one of the team's top top performers, and uh, and I wish him all the best in whatever he elects to do after this this season uh, with his career. But you know, um, I just don't know. I don't know if there's like a market. Obviously, he's hit some pretty big shots, and uh, and he does some things that a lot of NBA teams deem to be, um, like good for like today's big man. But I just don't know. I, he hasn't generated a lot of interest up to this point, and it'll be. Uh, I don't just don't know if there's that much of a difference between this year and previous years that will warrant uh, a a vast improvement of draft stock for Hunter Dickinson. It's weird because it's like, it's not like he's done anything wrong. I, I I'm just like, he, he clearly made a jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year because freshman year, he was just, he was in the interior and he killed it. He was a great freshman. And all, a lot of us thought he might go pro after his freshman year. And then we all kind of thought, well, what, what the NBA is really looking for is a perimeter you know, a little bit of a perimeter presence, ability to defend on the perimeter, uh, ability to hit some shots on the perimeter and, and improve his passing. And he did all of those things into his sophomore year. But I think what the pros are looking at is like the guys that have his height at a pro level are guys like Giannis and Kevin Durant and, or even even like Joel Embiid and like Nikola Jokic. Like, and so I look at his jump from sophomore year to junior year like has he has he made a few more threes yes is he passing well out of the double team yes but none of those things to me equal like moving way up uh, on you know on pro scouts board and so the reason i bring up this question is all of a sudden there's a strange possibility that we get senior year hunter dickinson because i don't know if he's going to jump uh, to the pros if he's projected as a second round pick. And I don't know if he's going to be projected as a first round pick. And so it's interesting, a guy that we thought might leave after his freshman year, all of a sudden could become a four-year player. And if that does happen, then Hunter Dickinson is going to really move up the re- like the record boards and leaderboards for, in Michigan history. And he, he's kind of made for college, right? He's like a college villain, and so it would be it would be fun to see him uh, play four years at Michigan. Yeah, absolutely, and certainly like no love lost to Hunter Dickinson. He's a great player, um, veteran Michigan Wolverine, diehard Wolverine. Uh, can't say enough good things about him. You know, there's obviously some stuff in in the media that you'd wish he'd like shut his mouth about from time to time, but you know he's uh, he's. A extremely good player. I hope that he's in- improved his draft stock enough to have a wonderful career in today's NBA game. But only time will tell. You know, there I I can never really get it right as far as like NBA prospects. I mean, Kobe Bupkin just started popping up on somebody's uh, big board or whatever uh, about a, a lottery pick. You know what I mean? And I would have never seen that coming. So. You never really know with all of the desirable um, features that that these NBA scouts look for in people's games, and sometimes it's the players that no one even expects just come out of the woodwork and ball the hell out all over everybody, and and that could that could be Kobe Bufkin, could be Hunter Dickinson, who knows? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty tuned into to how basketball pro scouts look look at players and and it's it's football that i have trouble with like you know we have some friends in sports media and and around different michigan media outlets that you and i both know that like we trust for football scouting because for me like i i just don't know i look at a guy and i'm like oh he's dominant and then and then it turns out he's like 25 pounds too light for his position on a pro level it's like i just i just don't know those things um 
But in basketball, I'm pretty tuned in. And, you know, looking at something, I've been looking at something kind of interesting, and it's uh, Doug McDaniel and Terrace Reed. They're both going to get held back from, from leaving early. For, di- for almost opposite reasons. They're like the yin and yang of like college basketball players. Doug McDaniel's so small, and there's so many guys that are so so much bigger than him that can play point guard in the pros that he's destined to be a four-year player. So it, now we have this exciting, talented college point guard that's going to be with us for four years, barring any unforeseen you know things. Um, Terrace Reed on the other hand, has a huge, massive pro-style frame, but his, I mean, and he's sneaky good at handling the ball, actually. He's like, he's like very sneaky good. He's had, I, re, I think to earlier in the year, he like stole the ball at half court and took it coast to coast, you know, for, for two points. Like he's, he's good, but what's going to hold him back is he's not much of an outside shooter and doesn't really have like pro level handles and passing ability, at least not yet. We haven't seen that. And so I think there's a good chance we see Doug McDaniel and Terrace Reed play four years of basketball together. And if we actually see that, um, Jawan Howard's seat is not going to be hot. I'm telling you right now, if those two guys play four years together, uh, Jawan Howard is going to be just fine plugging in skill position players around those two guys. Yeah, absolutely agreed. So let's go ahead and, I mean, in case you missed it, Matt and I were so excited, we we just jumped right in. But in case you missed it, earlier in the week, Michigan finally closed out a close game. And actually, it wasn't very close the way they closed it out. They beat Rutgers 58-45. to So they held a very good Rutgers team to 45 points. It was a very close game until the last couple minutes. And then Michigan, um, you know, won it by 13 points. And then just now, uh, Michigan was down. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know exactly what happened. But just in case you don't, Michigan was down by three points with, what was it, five seconds left? Something like that? Five. uh and we were in this position again where I, I know every Michigan fan felt exactly like I felt, which was, oh, here we go again. We blew another lead against another good team. Like, there's no way we're going to make the tournament now. You know, like, like you start spiraling like, oh, my God. And it, it comes down to Jawan drawing up a, a last second play. And, and we've seen this over and over and over again. And these last second Jawan plays have not been great. And what happens, the play goes to shit like immediately. Like it was not a good, it was just not a good situation. The ball gets fumbled. We end up getting the ball to Hunter Dickinson like 30 feet from the basket. And and Hunter just does, you know, what, what Hunter can do sometimes. He just steps up and he drained you know, a long, you know, NBA range three to tie the game and send it to overtime. And at that point, everybody was like, Sheesh. <laughs> and I was like, he's an ice man. He's, he's got ice water in his veins. There's the old, the old ice man. We got a little Jim Harbaugh coming out talking about Hunter Dickinson. So he's a, he's an ice man. And, and, uh, you know, we go to overtime and then Chrysler was erupting and, and, uh, Michigan had momentum at that point. We finished it strong. Kobe Bufkin had maybe his game of the year. Actually, I'm looking at the box score right now. Like, yeah, this dude, he, he played his, the game of a lifetime. He scored 28 points, eight rebounds, two assists, two steals, uh, plus minus was 16. Kobe Bufkin uh, absolutely killed it. And, and we got significant minutes and in, in, in game time action from, from Joey Baker and even Jace Howard stepped in and made a couple strong defensive plays in a row. And so um, just what, what a win. What an amazing uh, feeling to, to be heading into the last two road games of the season. And I have a feeling, Matt, that this is going to place us right, like right on the bubble. Like, like, I, I, like last, last team in, last team out, kind of right on the line because we were – 
we were about four or five spots out, depending on who you follow. But I, I think this is going to put us right there. So I, I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Do you think Michigan basketball makes the tournament this season? I absolutely 100% think Michigan basketball makes the tournament this season. Um, I won't pump the brakes on you or anything in regards to anything like that. Uh, If you're like me or any Michigan fan in general, you've made and like not made the tournament about 100 times already this season. So uh, (laughs) pretty much, you know, I've been locked in on just a positive mindset that Michigan basketball is going to make the tournament uh, for at least the last the last few weeks. I've been on that that bandwagon. You know, I just they're playing like a tournament team right now. They're closing out close games. Um, they're they're really showing their stuff, and you know, I think a lot of experts are seeing it. Um, Fortunately for this Michigan team, their struggles came earlier on in the season, so they are peaking at just the right time. I don't know if they pick up both of these wins, but I think regardless if they come out with with a win against one of these teams, I think that they still make um make a seating in the tournament. You know, Michigan is uh it's first and foremost like they're a very recognizable brand. They want them in, like, people want them in the tournament. The people making the, the schedules up top, like, they want Michigan in the tournament already. You know what I mean? So there's that. And then there's just everything that Michigan's been doing recently. For, they always find their way into a little bit higher of a seeding than they were projected uh, leading up to the tournament, I feel like. So I think that, uh, that no matter what happens, as long as they win one of these next games that they slip into uh, one of the lower seeds and and we break our dancing shoes out. Yeah, I, I really think we got to win one of these final two games. They're both going to be quad one. They're both against quality opponents on the road. We got to find a way to win one of them. Um, but I, I, you mentioned pump the brakes. I've got to pump the brakes for you. So let's let's just roll into that. Do you have do you have any pump the brakes prepared? We're kind of we're kind of unorganized off the heels of this crazy Wisconsin Michigan basketball game. But do you have anything for me? I'm just curious. We absolutely are, but uh, we actually just were in the process of talking about it. So I get to kind of flip the script on you a little bit here, Mike. Um, with with my belief that uh, Michigan does make the tournament. This year, um, well, I mean, I guess you already kind of answered it. Do you feel that Michigan makes the tournament if they lose one of these games coming up? There's no way I'm pumping the brakes on that. Um, I I think even if we lose one of these last two games, we're still going to make the tournament. And I tell you why. It actually feeds into my pump the brakes question for you. Um, I believe that Michigan basketball is going to win the Big Ten tournament. How do you feel about that? Uh, You know, I honestly, I'm going to pump the brakes on you. But, you know, I really, I think that Michigan puts up a, a surprisingly good fight in the Big Ten tournament. I think that we make a lot of noise. And that's part of my reasoning for uh, thinking that even if Michigan drops one of these next two games, I believe that we still get in because I think that Michigan is still going to pick up a couple of uh, recognizable wins in this Big Ten tournament. Regardless if they win or not, I think that we we earn a little bit of respect as far as that goes. So we'll see. But yeah, so I'm going to pump the brakes. I don't think that that they win the tournament, but I don't know. Crazier shit has happened when it comes to Michigan basketball in the Big Ten tournament. Well, I think most people would agree with you on this one, which is why it's such a good, like, you know, kind of out there take. But let me explain why real fast, just for the listeners. And I'm going off the dome here. I don't have any stats in front of me, so don't fact check me, but I think all these are right. So Michigan, I, I believe now, is 11-7 and seven in conference play, which 
I think makes them tied for second place. So they're in second place. Who's in first place? Well, Purdue's in first place. We saw against Purdue, we played a really close, tight game against them. And that was really before our Twin Towers lineup of, of Terrace and Hunter got going. And Purdue's lost, I, I want to say they've lost four out of their last six games. Like Purdue has, has not looked great. And so all of a sudden, um, Michigan is one of maybe four teams that you could pick to win the Big Ten tournament realistically. I think Vegas will probably have them as the second or third option maybe because we're getting hot at the right time. We've got talent. Uh, Jet Howard will be coming back on top of this. Like it, it kind of looks like this team is set up for a late run. Um, you know, it, it, if it was versus Michigan or the field, I would take the field, which I think is exactly why you're pumping the brakes on me, right? Like there, it's 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 not likely, but I think Michigan is as likely as any team uh, to win the Big Ten tournament. It's just, they've just been cannibalizing themselves, the Big Ten, uh, just this entire time, you know. I don't even like, I don't even mean as as a knock to Michigan when I don't, with, with my disbelief that they'll win the Big Ten. I just think that this Big Ten season is, has played out so randomly um, that uh, I think Michigan definitely has a shot of making uh, a, a sizable um contribution to uh to the big 10 tournament but i just don't know if they pull it out in the end we'll see there's some uh there's still some good teams in there but i think that any one of them are beatable at this point so who knows hopefully i'm uh i'm an idiot on that one we'll see well one thing is for certain about me and i think you've you've learned this about me we've we've done enough of these podcasts where you already know i drink the kool-aid man I chug the fucking Kool-Aid. Like every time Michigan wins a game in football or basketball, like I can't even help it. I just start to think, like I just start to think we're going to win it all. And so, you know, it is what it is. We'll, We'll see. We've got two really tough road games coming up. So hopefully Michigan can win one, maybe both of them. If we win both of them, we're in. Doesn't matter what happens in the tournament. Um, but, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Let's transition to a little segment that we call What's the Deal? Um, I've got kind of a hilarious one if you've seen the clip. So I'll lead, I'll lead this off here. Uh, Fran McCaffrey, Iowa Hawkeyes head basketball coach, leader of men, allegedly. What are you doing? What is the deal, man? <laughs> so there's a clip out there. Um, of Fran McCaffrey staring down the ref during a during a timeout and he like stares at him motion motionlessly for like a full 10 seconds and then rather than turning around and like going back to the the huddle he takes a step closer and this poor ref like doesn't know what to do so he he takes a step closer to to Fran McCaffrey and these dudes are just like eye to eye just staring at each other like it's like a staring contest (laughs) and then to make it even better actually like uh you know this kind of feeds into like fran mccaffrey's side of things but to make it even better iowa then mounted the most miraculous comeback uh of the year against michigan state which kind of pissed me off because michigan state probably would have been a quad one win for us if they beat iowa in that circumstance but so then iowa you know rattles off a crazy comeback just like they did against us in in uh, wins that game but Fran McCaffrey what is the deal I uh I personally saw that clip and I thought it was uh hilarious <laughs> you know <laughs> you just don't see it every day you know uh grown men head coaches having a good old fashioned stare down uh, with just minutes to spare in uh, the second half of a basketball game. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it was amazing to see Fran McCaffrey he just kind of stepped up like he was that guy, and then the ref stepped up, you know, like he was that guy, and then Fran McCaffrey elected to take like an additional half a step up. It was something out of like the Looney Tunes or something, but 
Uh, it was hilarious to see, you know, it's just another, uh, um, obviously it's kind of, uh, unprofessional and, and, uh, dumb on his part to do something like that. It instigates some form of conflict with the officiant, but it's, uh, it was hilarious, you know, (laughs) props to both of those guys for standing their ground. I think they both put up a very good performance in the staring contest and, uh, and props to both of them for sticking it out until somebody came and broke it up. Well, you know, uh, if Jawan would have done that, you know what they would have been calling him, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it would have uh, it wouldn't have been pretty. They would have they would have been thug. He's a thug, yeah. right? Jawan yeah. st- Jawan stares at a ref, and all of a sudden he's a thug. Yeah, Fran McC- Fran McCaffrey does it, and he's hilarious. But anyway, I, I don't. I digress. Do you happen to have a a what's the deal for me this week? I do have a what's the deal. And uh, you and I were discussing Amarion Walker uh, and his transition to the cornerback position prior to the start of the show, which uh, kudos to him. I mean, one of the fastest times we've seen in reference to that article you and I were discussing. Uh, But... I have a what's the deal, and it's really just concerning the wide receiver position for the football team in general. And I'm not knocking it. You know, we've got some great wideouts on the Michigan football team, but I just feel like we we take these extremely fast guys that are great at the per- position, and we're always having to find new uses for them. And uh, it's great, you know what I mean? I think Omarion Walker, there's a lot of steam about him been picking up recently. Uh, A lot of good things to say about him. I think that he'll go down as a great, great cornerback, and it's great for that position group. But I do think that our wide receiver position group continues to suffer because of these types of decisions. You know, Mikey Sainer still, who is like, who is legendary at whatever position that he elects to play was he made some phenomenal catches at the wide receiver position. Uh, Ones that I still um, think of fondly on this day, like the one handed, the one handed grab, you know, he's made some diving catches and, and his season prior to last season that were very impressive that, uh, that I'm sad that I'll never get to see again, you know, and, it just kind of seems like there's a little bit of, uh, you know, and I know we've got wide receivers to spare, but part of that is due to the fallout from things like this. You know what I mean? Like Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, uh, all of those guys probably didn't plan on like uh, staying for as long as they have, you know what I mean? And being in competition with a lot of these younger guys, like they probably didn't plan on that being them at this stage of their careers. You know what I mean? And then there's all these new, young, excellent wide receivers that we've been saying good things about, but we can't even begin to see them, and we probably won't see them because we'll, we just continue to get uh, longer and longer tenures out of our current wide receivers. So I think that it's not obviously a back-breaking issue for the football team. Like, we're going to field like one of the best football teams in the nation this upcoming season, but it's just something to keep an eye on. It's going to be harder for Michigan to draw in, uh, draw in big name wide receiver recruits, which is something that always is deemed to be an issue amongst the Michigan faithful. And I think it might hurt us. So Michigan football, what's the deal with uh, our position groups at wide receiver? What are we doing? You know, it. it I, I, I agree with you and I, like I also, I might be in the minority here, but I, you know, I like seeing these guys on defense too, especially when, I mean, you look at, you look at Ohio State, right, and what they're fielding on the offensive side of the ball. You almost have to put your best athletes on defense, right? Like, like, especially with DJ Turner and Jamon Green moving on, and I think what sealed the deal for moving Amarion Walker to the defensive side of the ball was Cornelius Johnson coming back. There's just not going to be enough snaps on offense, right? Like there's just, I, I feel like A.J. Henning, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, got guys like Darius Clemens that could, that'll move around in different spots. And, and you know, it just, it feels to me like uh, 
the plan with the Marion Walker is to make him that third piece with Will Johnson and Mike Sandra still that can just be a stud in the secondary, which I'm thrilled about. But I think he's going to be a two-way player. I, I, like, I genuinely believe that they're going to let this guy play on both sides of the ball. Now, the question is, if he's really that fast uh, with, with that much size, he's like 6'3 or 6'4, I think. Um, if, if he's that much of an athlete, then why the hell was he not on the field his freshman year more? I mean, he only appeared in six games, only caught one pass for four yards. Um, so that'll be interesting. You know, I, it, that actually leads into uh, one of my, and I kind of I kind of did the sheesh segment with Hunter Dickinson earlier, which is fine, but I want to do another one here. So for the audience, Matt and I always like to, to take a look at what made us say, throughout the week and for me there there's a video of a marion walker incredible he he runs a, a 6.10 so a 610 three cone drill and i saw that and i was like Sheesh. because there has never been a player in the history of the nfl draft combine to run a three cone drill that fast and so is was it official no what uh, was it timed by by hand and not by like the machines that they use at the combine? Yeah. So so it, like, is there a margin for error? Yes. But that's not going to stop me from getting excited because that means this dude is fast and w- with the frame like his speed, like he's got playing on the defensive side of the ball with Mike Sanders still and Will Johnson and uh, you know some of the other studs that we've got on that side of the ball. I'm just. I'm just excited, man. Uh, I mean, isn't that that crazy? It sounds like you saw that video as well. Absolutely. And again, like, I think that in this particular situation, like, Omarion is going to be electric on defense. And uh, and really, again, like, everyone that... It's not really the move itself that is ever the issue for me in these types of situations. It's the fallout from the move, you know? Like... Uh, and it's difficult for me to explain, but I just, it's no matter which way you slice it. So, okay. Like you have Darius Clemens, maybe he steps up, earns a starting role this year. What does that mean for players like Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson who elected to stay to try to improve their draft stock? You don't like to see that either. You know what I mean? Like, and obviously it all ultimately plays out how it's going to play out, but um, you just hate to see that for the wide receiver position group, you know, one that's been a storied position group for for decades among Michigan, like some great wide receivers to come out of the university. And uh, and, you know, you obviously we love the run game. We love and then there's Donovan Edwards. You know what I mean? He's going to take up snaps at wide receiver next year because Blake Corum's coming back, you know, so. It's uh, it's there's going to be less snaps for some of our favorite wide receivers. Um, and uh, and it's all just I mean, it's all a part of the cogs of how Michigan plays. And all of those cogs have equated to great things. Uh, you just like to see a, a way to get some of these wide receivers a little bit more involved to where they're not coming to Michigan just to make like 10 catches over the course of the season and be done with it, you know? Well, you're forgetting one thing, Matt, and that's that JJ's going to break the touchdown record this year on the way to a national championship. He's throwing for, uh, I'm going to say, 30-plus touchdowns. So there's going to be plenty to go around. Every one of these guys you mentioned is going gonna, is gonna to look like a stud next year. Um, I tell you what, before we wrap up, you know, we're feeling good, good basketball energy, uh, good you know, spring ball, football energy. And then there's like one little sliver of news that's got us a little bit anxious, right? And that's Jesse Minter interviewing with the Philadelphia Eagles. I haven't really heard much since the initial story came out, so I don't know what the movement is there. But the story did come out that Jesse Minter interviewed with the Philadelphia Eagles for their defensive coordinator position. Uh, Does this have you worried? Yes, it has me very worried, you know, because it's like the the 
top tier job, you know what I mean? And there is word that, you know, Jesse Minter's like third on the list is the the kind of the rumor that's been floating around. So there hasn't been panic amongst the Michigan faithful, but if Jesse Minter is desired by a Super Bowl contending NFL team, I've seen some things out there like I, I know several people have uh, have tweeted in relief of it, you know, like uh, like it's a good thing that uh, all of our coaches are getting this recognition and stuff like that. And make no mistake, like it is not a good thing that our star defensive coordinator is picking up interest amongst Super Bowl contending NFL teams because Jesse Minter will leave in a heartbeat if he is the I mean that's that's a bold move to say but I mean the it's quite the jump you know what I mean it's what many people within that career field dream of so to say that he probably wouldn't strongly consider it and and likely do it is for a school that he's only been with for one season is on is kind of far fetched so it scares me a little bit not that he's going to take the Eagles gig but that he's going to gain interest from other NFL jobs, and he'll find a defensive coordinator role, maybe not this year, but next year, in which case there will be uh, turnover. But, you know, it's uh, at, and on the other hand, you feel relief because the team has done an excellent job of putting people in place. But uh, I, for one, would be ecstatic to see the current coaching staff as it is go into next season unscathed. That is like my number one uh, Christmas wish list. Please, Jesse Minter, don't go anywhere uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, I agree that we don't want to lose Jesse Minter, but I took some heat this week because I tweeted out, uh, you know, for everybody to relax that it is a good thing. And, And I guess what I meant by that is not that I want to see this guy leave, but it comes with the territory, right? If if your coaches are getting sniped for bigger jobs at the next level, it means you're doing a, a good job. It means you're having success. And it, it also makes it easier to fill, fill those jobs with successful, competent, big-name coaches. And so you guys like Sharon Moore, like I, like I hate to break it to you, Michigan Nation, but Sharon Moore is probably not going to be with us for too too much longer, right? Like, like I would love it. Maybe we're going to pay the guy and he just settles into the role and he's there multiple years. Probably not, though, right? Like, he, the clock is probably ticking for a, a big job for him. Same thing with Jesse Minter if he if he does what, what he's been doing for us. And, you know, you look at the, the school, like Alabama comes to mind, right? You look at the schools that have had perennial success, and it comes with the territory. It's, it, it, you're going to lose big name coaches to big jobs. And so, you know, it, it is what it is. Here's how I see it, though, because when people say, well, this is what uh, what happens to Alabama and this is what happens to Clemson, like like Michigan uh, is I'm not saying like they're not there yet, but like they're not like there yet. You know what I mean? I need like there needs to be it's uh, there needs to be continued success under this regime just for a little bit longer. You know what I mean? Just give me this success for a little bit longer, because right now, the way I see it, like we're kind of in a like delicate, a delicate like we've worked hard to get to this point. You know what I mean? Like we're right on the precipice of eliteness in the Michigan football world. And I just don't want to see anything damage that. And that is where my fear stems from is uh, with Sharon Moore and Jesse Minter, both picking up such high interest. And like you said, we might not lose either of them this season, but what if we lose both of them next season? And that's just a scary thought to think about, you know? So yes, absolutely. It uh, absolutely a hundred percent comes with the territory and it's going to continue to happen to our team, to other teams. I just hope that uh, they just leave us alone and that these coaches just see the, the beauty and what Michigan's been building like they have been 
obviously they have been seeing it. So I just hope that continues and that they stick around and uh, those who stay, right? Those who stay will be champions. And I agree that it's it it feels delicate. And I think that if we could just win a natty and have a top five ranked recruiting class, it would just feel a hell of a lot less delicate, right? Because it feels delicate because like the 2023 class was like ranked in the teens. And it's like, you know, this could all be a little blip on the radar and then we fall back into obscurity. So, I, you know, I, I agree with that. I agree with you. It's like all of our chips are in on this next season because the 2024 class is looking strong. If we go out there and make the playoffs again and, and potentially the national championship game, that 2024 class could be so strong that we could become a perennial playoff team, which is what Michigan football uh, should be and deserves to be. But, uh, you know, we thought we were going to have a short little episode today, and here we are pushing pushing up against uh, an hour. You know, that's what happens when two crazy people start talking about Michigan sports. But, uh, Matt, let's let's go ahead and wrap up. We've, we've watched a basketball game. We did overtime. We've recorded a podcast. I'm sure that our, our wife and, and wives and children are, are desperately waiting on us to provide for them. So... Um, where can people <laughs> find you on, on social media and where can people uh, follow you? They can find me uh, at my main Twitter handle at Maze Crusader, as well as uh, any of the glorious content that my team is putting out at Maze and Brew. Uh, you can follow them at Maze and Brew or check out their website at mazeandbrew.com. And uh, also published my first couple articles on Maze and Brew recently. Don't know if you've had a chance to check them out, Mike, but uh, I uh, broke down uh, a little thing about spring football, the tight ends, Colston Loveland, our guy, and uh, also a little piece on Mike Barrett and appearance on uh, John Jansen a couple weeks ago. So if any of you guys see any of that stuff that I'm writing, show the boys some love. Oh, I'm definitely going to read that and hit the, I'm going to smash the like button and smash the retweet button. Um, you guys can find me uh, at my website, wolverinechronicle.com or at wolverinechron on Twitter. I've also got a YouTube channel and breaking news, Wolverine Chronicle has a TikTok account. I'm, I'm cool. I'm fresh. I'm lit with all these young kids now. I believe I have four followers right now on TikTok. Uh, and one of them is my wife. So, you know, it's it, we're building a little bit of momentum on TikTok. So you guys get out there and and uh, follow me on all the social platforms. Uh, thank you as always, Matt. It, it was really good to see you, my friend. We'll be back next week with Jack Scheel of Blue by 90. And as always, go blue. Go blue.